Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson, and today is June 22nd. Well, just ahead, Planet Fitness reopens its doors, but what would happen if all of its members returned? Speaking of fitness, McDonald's has started a club for its best customers. Picture that. And why Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Uber are all using Teletech for customer service. We'll drill down to the company with Valeri Portfolio Manager Lamar Valeri, but first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, Tune in Pandora, but listen to us every day and make that easy on yourself. Subscribe, follow, and catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Well, I'm Corey Johnson, and welcome to the Drill Down, where we explain the business stories behind stocks on the move. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, some of the three most important developments in the world of business today. Hey, Corey. Number one, U.S. home prices in May posting their biggest annual increase in more than two decades. That's thanks to a shortage of properties and low borrowing costs, low borrowing rates, excuse me. The median the median existing home sales price in May topped $350,000 for the very first time. The fig- that figure was nearly 24% higher than a year ago. The biggest year-over-year price increase since recorded data going back to 1999 all of this according to the National Association of Realtors. Let's look at that again. Inflation. You want to look for inflation? A 24% increase <laughs> in the most expensive things that people buy in their entire lives. You can lower the borrowing costs all you want, but it's got to go a long way to make up for a 24% increase in price. That is inflation. All right, Corey, the next story we're watching Blackstone has agreed to buy a company that buys and rents single-family homes. The investment firm will acquire Home Partners of America in a $6 billion deal. Home Partners owns more than 17,000 houses across the U.S., and it buys homes, rents them out, and offers its tenants the chance to eventually buy. It's an interesting model, but it's interesting also that some uh, big money managers think that there's still opportunity despite that 24% increase in housing prices that you were just describing, Isaac. Yeah, well, Blackstone Blackstone seems has a tradition of finding these home market opportunities. And finally, the third most important business story of the day, the Federal Trade Commission will review Amazon's proposed acquisition of Hollywood studio MGM. Now, this is according to the Wall Street Journal. The FTC, of course, just got a new chairwoman who has been critical of Amazon's expansion. Now, all sizable mergers have to submit to an antitrust review from the government. The FTC shares antitrust authority with the Justice Department. Now, the journal says the FTC pushed for jurisdiction over the Amazon-MGM merger review because it already has an open, wide-ranging antitrust investigation into Amazon's business practices. So maybe they'll see the patterns or they'll know where to look. Now, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, let's take a look at Planet Fitness. Planet Fitness, P-L-N-T. Shares rose 1% today, but plan, and Planet Fitness shares have gained 20% in a year. What's new with Planet Fitness? All right, well, let's think about what you just said. 
the stocks up 20% in the last year. Are things really that much better? Only that much better? Only that much worse? This, this stock is virtually as high as it was pre-pandemic. So, you know, the last time I looked at this story is over a year ago. I remember a New York Post story where some customers have been charged membership fees while the gyms were closed uh, because of Corona. The company said it would give credit back when the gyms reopened. Well, now they're mostly reopened. And the stock is right back to where it was before the pandemic. So here's the question. Um, is Peloton a permanent thing, right? Or is Planet Fitness? Because in a world where people have learned how to work out without going to the gym, are, are they going to fit in an extra workout and go to Planet Fitness like they used to before the pandemic? Like what, what's the trade-off between home workout and the survival of home workout and the old way of working out, right? So look at the model. So that doesn't make sense if you think Planet Fitness actually sells memberships to its gyms, which it sort of does. But one could argue they're in the business of selling memberships. They don't really want everyone who buys a membership to come to the gym. At least I think so. Why do I think that? Well, guess how I said, guess how I went through their filings in the last few uh, quarters, the last couple of years even. Guess how many members they have per gym right now? Oh, well, let me give you a clue. All together, they Planet fit, Fitness? So uh, the, the typical Planet Fitness I've read can hold about 700 people. Oh, wow. I d- so every single Planet think? Fitness? No, that's uh, typical. How many? So if a typical store can hold uh, 700 people or gym can hold 700 people, how oh, many right. people do you think they would sell memberships to per gym? Ah, gotcha. I would say probably 2,000. It, in the last quarter, it was 6,570 members per physical gym. Wow. So I wouldn't want the to be best there if they all show up as, on the same day. As any gym rat that'll tell you, the best thing that can happen in the gym is to have not a lot of people show up. So there's more room to get the yeah. equipment that you want. Well, the company says, and they presented at a conference today, and they've been presenting at a few financial conferences in the last few weeks, that they're only at 80% of their gym usage from a year from before the pandemic. Yet, as I mentioned, the stock's right about where it was before. And that it's not a whole new group of people they're bringing into this world. These are rejoining members. In other words, people more likely to actually use those gyms. So it makes you wonder about their growth prospects and who they're going to grow to. Here is their CFO, Tom Fitzgerald, speaking at a financial conference back in June. Um, some other interesting trends we saw through April was that um, about 30% of our joins were rejoins. So they remember Planet Fitness in the past and they're coming back. Um, that typically runs 20 to 22%. So they're coming back faster than we've seen in the past. Um, and about 4 to 5% of our joins are um, coming to us from closed competition. Um, the industry reports that about 17% of the stores in the industry are permanently closed. Um, uh, thankfully for Planet, uh, based on the unit economics of, of our model, uh, we've had zero store closings, permanent closures from, from COVID, so that's great. Um, and we've got nearly 100% of our stores open now, the only ones left to open. Uh, we've got a, a number of stores in Canada that have reclosed again. Um, hopefully we'll reopen shortly here, but everything in the U.S. is now currently open. So everything's open. Only 80% of their customers have come back. And the stock's right back to as if nothing had happened at all. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that works out for them, but... It is shocking this how this model works, where they sell more memberships than they can fit in, it would seem to me, certainly at the, all at the same time, into any building. I got to point out, I mean, in my opinion, in all, in, in all due respect, I don't think Planet Fitness members um, are the same type of gym rats who are going to buy a Peloton or a Tonal. 
I don't um, think I don't think Planet Fitness and Peloton are com- are you know competing for the same types of members. Fair point. They they advertise uh, um, both to customers and to investors that they are a low price entrant into this business. They they want to make it as, as friction free to get a membership of the gym. I'm reminded of the New Yorker cartoon where the guy stands at the front desk and says, "Well, how much is it for a membership for that I buy and they don't ever use?" <laughs> Corey, what is your next drill down? Hey, let's take a look at McDonald's. McDonald's MCD shares have gained 24% in a year. What's new with McDonald's? Well, uh, much anticipated. You've been waiting for this moment. You can finally join a loyalty program, program for McDonald's. It's coming next month, a nationwide rollout on July 8th. The company said in a statement, um, there's a McDonald's digital app, but they're going to have a loyalty program. For McDonald's, it means they're going to know a lot more about who their customers are, uh, and they really are looking at rival Starbucks um, as kind of the example here. Um, I heard a story so many years ago, it may have been apocryphal, about a fast food chain uh, whose food was maybe not that good for its customers, but some of its customers represented a significantly larger portion of their sales and other customers. So they created a, an express lane for those people. But they pulled the program because they found that the people in the express lane did not have the um, uh, did not did not create uh, an aspirational image of what the rest of the customers might someday want to join. Nonetheless, we're getting a McDonald's loyalty program, and maybe it's for those healthy salads and the coffees and all the great things they sell there, or maybe it's for everything else. But uh, this company really does, you know, and it, it really does, Isaac, jibe with uh, the trends we hear from so many companies. We're talk- talking about what they learned from COVID, what the digital experience was like, what it was like to offer two offerings, one digital, one physical, and maybe how they might merge the two. Here is the McDonald's CEO, uh, Chris Kempzinski, uh, in their last earnings conference call. It all has to feel like it's part of the same experience. And we, we've got, I'd say, the foundation on top of it, but or foundation laid, but I think there's a lot we need to put on top of it to still make it even more convenient, even more seamless and to ensure there's the fun that carries through, you know, why can't the same fun that maybe you're having in the app come to when you show up in the restaurant. And I think a part of this is also being able to recognize the customer uh, when they come to the restaurant. And so for us, loyalty and getting that deployed is a key enabler to ensure that today, 95% of the customers that come to the restaurant, we have no, no idea who they are. Imagine if, in the future, we could know, let's say 50% of them. It just, it creates an entirely different brand experience. So that's what we're focused on going forward and uh, do see the two working together. So there you have it, the digital experience and the physical experience coming together with the app that they've had, but a loyalty program that is brand new and McDonald's will know more about who that customer is when they walk in the door and what they want. And I'll bet you, Isaac, it's probably not another salad. I would, I would, uh, I think that's a safe bet to make. Now, Corey, what's your next drill down? Speaking of apps. Speaking of apps, speaking of good food, let's talk about DoorDash. DoorDash DoorDash. announced a deal. Yeah, let's talk about it. D-A-S-H. They gained 3% today, but what a rocket ship it's been for the past four days, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it. if you look at what's happened since Friday, so they just announced a deal 
um, with Albertsons. Uh, in the last couple of days, the stock has gone straight up since announcing that deal. Albertsons, of course, owns Albertsons stores as well as Safeway, Vons, Jewel um, uh, in the Midwest. Uh, and uh, this will all let them have nearly 2,000 stores where they can essentially do some kind of grocery or on-demand grocery from those stores. And it has it caused the stock to go straight up. You've seen a $2.2 billion increase in the market value of Albertsons, or sorry, of DoorDash, $2.2 billion increase in the value of, of DoorDash since last Friday. But Albertsons That's amazing. Profits, now, Albertsons isn't everywhere, though. Albertsons is, is it more regional? No, it's all over the country. So it's Safeway, it's Vons, it's Albertsons, it's Jewel, it's everywhere. But they've got, more importantly, DoorDash increase in value is $2.2 billion. Albertsons' total profits last year were only $850 million. So how could DoorDash be worth $2.2 billion more dollars for signing a deal that would, I mean, if they were to capture all of Albertson's profits, all of it, and double it, and add 50 more percent of that, even that wouldn't equal $2.2 billion. So yes, this, is, improbable. A, this yeah. is some exuberance based on um, what potential uh, of what this could be. Is it based on... Um, the notion of 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 the that somehow delivery services will be even more in demand after the pandemic than they were p- before the pandemic. I, I mean, for me, I can't imagine a better year for Uber Eats or DoorDash or their competitors ever than what they just went through. But uh, we'll listen to what DoorDash's chief financial officer, Prabir Andakar, had to say at their last earnings conference call about the market of delivery. You know, some of the markets you mentioned, whether it's convenience or, or grocery, these are extremely large markets. Convenience is 200 and 250 billion, grocery is an 800 billion to trillion dollar market. But the thing that's unique is both of these are, are very low penetration rates. And you think about our platform and the success that we've enjoyed in convenience up to this point, despite you know, thank you, uh, launching that business 12 months ago, it's because of the extensibility of our platform. It's because we take, an, take a hybrid approach that pairs together not just third-party partners in our marketplace like CVS, like Walgreens, like 7-Eleven, in fact, Rite Aid that we recently announced, but also we're, we're bringing our own first-party um, uh, selection to, to consumers, and that's in order to provide consumers a choice and serve them in underserved neighborhoods. And so, Penetration is extremely low today, and there's a lot of runway for, for growth. So that's that's the view from above, right? What if they could somehow capture all of the groceries that ever, well, just think of the market, right? So if all of the groceries delivered or the, that are sold in the whole world are $250 billion, yeah, that is a big market. But in a business that usually has about a 2% profit margin, $250 billion in sales is only going to give you about $5 billion in profits. So if they were to capture all of the profits from the grocery business and get to half of all of the groceries that are sold, that'd be about $2.5 billion in annual profits to DoorDash or annual revenues to DoorDash and yet a $2.2 billion increase in the value of the company this week based on this press release. So the stock is, the people who are buying the stock, if they're buying it because of Albertsons, are very, very excited about a business that ultimately doesn't really have a lot of profits left to be squeezed out of it. In any case, 
interesting one to watch. Uh, joining us next to take a look at another super interesting business that's somehow related, in fact, uh, looking at customer service for delivery companies and a whole lot more. We'll talk about that with our guest, uh, Valeri Portfolio Manager, Lamar Valeri, right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at Drill Down Pod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, welcome back to The Drill Down. Joining me right now is uh, one of our favorite guests, Lamar Valeri, joins us right now from New Orleans. It's nice and cool this time of year. Uh, Cool and dry. Maybe not. Yeah, right, exactly. You brought an interesting company for us to drill down here, um, uh, TTEC Holdings, which uh, is an interesting company because they're very much involved in, in kind of well, the phrase we keep hearing lately is digital transformation and helping companies, I think, become more digital, more social uh, and helping brands in particular. How, how would you describe their business? Sure. So the, the way that uh, the way that Teletech describes it is their customer experience as a service. So um, their legacy business is, you know, effectively outsourced call centers, um, customer relations for different companies. Uh, the, the smaller, uh, more high growth piece is on the digital side. And, and really, I think what they, uh, they focus on is being able to provide both in a, uh, a thoughtful way to businesses. So whether it's you know, legacy car manufacturers um, handling warranty claims and, and dealing with customer service or you know, these sort of explosive growth, uh, you know, Peloton type uh, companies that kind of come out of nowhere and have no way to scale up their customer uh, experiences or, or their, their customer service platform, uh, it's, it's a lot easier for groups like that to just outsource. And, and you refer to it as Teletech. They do, in fact, call themselves TTEC. Uh, I think maybe pr- trying to put that whole notion of the telephone um, behind them. I heard from a friend recently told me that uh, the thing that we do when we hold a, uh, up to our, you know, with a thumb up to our ear and our index finger by our mouth, the kids don't have no idea what that means now. They just hold a flat palm because that's the only possible thing you do, you know, to try to talk. To yeah, someone. my my kids don't talk on the phone anyway, so that's they, it's a totally different sign of just punching your palm or something. I don't really know. And you would think it would be a bad sign for a company in that business of dealing with customer phone calls if there aren't any customers making phone calls anymore. Sure. Well, obviously, there's a lot of people. Uh, you know, the, the kid, your kids, well, I'm sure. Are, wonderful consumers, um, they don't have the real oh, money. So the real money's in the They're in big the consumers, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, so the, the old people like us um, tend to use the phones, but but what Teletech also does is they've got the chat bots and, and the ways that uh, the, the next generation text uh, bots, the way the, uh, the younger generation likes to interact. So they, they, they're helping companies uh, figure out how to extend their platform to where the customers are and, and where the customers are going to be. So. Uh, you know, it's it's if if a company's really good at making a widget, that's great. But putting in a uh, text bot on their website or uh, a way for you know the consumers to text them and get instant answers to their questions is a little more complicated and not really their core competency. So um, that's that's the kind of area where uh, these guys really shine. 
Now, these guys based in Colorado, um, uh, not, you know, the heart of Silicon Valley, but sometimes where you see some real innovation along those lines. When you see this company growing, um, are there certain lessons that they have from their old legacy business where that really translate well that gives them a leg up in the digital business? It's solving the same customer problem, right? Customers want to know what the hell is going on with something. And the company wanted to relay that in a certain way, but in a very, very different medium. Yeah, and and again, it's it's they're trying to figure out where the customers uh, um, are struggling or, or, or need help, and and where where to best meet them. So, you know, sometimes it's more Silicon Valley tech, and but a lot of the times, frankly, it's it's uh, people just calling the one eight hundred number and trying to figure out how to get this thing to work or or how to assemble a product or or, uh, or whatever it is. So, a lot of this stuff is is trying to trying to be the hottest technology. Um, isn't necessarily where the customer is. Uh, you know, the, the chatbots are great, but you know, as, as I'm sure you've seen and I've seen, they can be frustrating when you're really trying to get in depth and you need to get on the phone with someone who understands the product. Oh my God, let's talk Comcast. Forget about it. Yeah, yeah. I my my modem isn't working. You'd like to buy HBO Max? No, my my right. modem isn't working. <laughs> you like more HBO Max? Um, uh, but to that point, is is their expertise really understanding? the depth of knowledge they need to get with each customer so that they can answer those questions? That's part of it. But again, part of it is is old school. I mean, these guys have uh, 58,000 employees and, and a lot of yeah. the core competency is, and, and by the way, call center, uh, the folks in the call center last typically less than one year on the job. It's 130% turnover. So it's a massive undertaking wow. to staff these, uh, to get these folks educated, um, to get them hired, to get them in place. Teletech also did a nice job uh, over the last year of getting these guys um, working from home. So 80% of their employees uh, now work from home, which uh, you know a, a lot of uh, companies that had their own call centers really struggled in how to deal with uh, you know, pandemic lockdown and, and really weren't used to handling this kind of situation. So um, that's an enormous employee base. It is an enormous employee base, and, and like I said, it's it turns over constantly. So a big part of their business is just recruiting and, and HR handling uh, this this type of workforce. And, and what they're finding right now is that they're having an easier time in hiring. So you know you hear about uh, bars, restaurants, airlines really struggling to bring people in, uh, get people on board. It's a lot easier when it, it doesn't involve uh, a commute. Um, coming into an office. So they're, they're, they're having more success in, in staffing. And, and so uh, they're, they're helping solve a pain point there. Now, talk to me about the corporate evolution of this company. We can go either their sort of their long-term growth or their most recent acquisitions, but it definitely seems like they're trying to accelerate growth towards a certain kind of plan. Yeah. I mean, they do, uh, they do regularly make acquisitions. Um, you know, one of the things uh, that's interesting about this company is that and, and there's there's good parts and bad parts, is that it's it's 60% owned by the CEO, Ken Tuckman. Um, and so he really, you know, this isn't a, a CEO who's thinking in the short term. He's, he, he basically owns the company and he, and he runs it that way. Um, on the downside for, for groups like us that are trying to take significant positions, it can be frustrating because it's not as liquid as, as you might expect given the size of the business. Uh, it, it's, uh, you know, over 4 billion market cap, but it's, it, relatively thinly traded so for to take decent sized positions can be frustrating uh, but but you know he, he does they've, they've done a nice job of making complimentary acquisitions tuck-ins over time 
to bring on either partners in terms of providing uh, different services or partners uh, in terms of basically buying customers, but they've generally have, have kept to uh, creative acquisitions that have, that have worked out pretty well. That is a spectacular amount of yeah. personal wealth to be concentrated. That, uh, let me phrase it. That is a spectacular amount of personal wealth to be concentrated in a singular company for a singular individual. I mean, I, I guess it speaks to he's, he wants to keep his bets where he knows he can watch the bets. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, if you talk to him, we've spent a lot of time with him um, reviewing his plans and, and uh, talking about the business with him. And, uh, you know, it's it's he's he's as excited uh, a CEO as you'll talk to um, really. He's giddy and, and he's he's uh, very excited about the, the massive uh, ability, the total addressable market that lays in front of him. As he put it on the last conference call, there's more opportunities in healthcare alone than they could ever uh, staff up to meet. So there's just a massive space, uh, green space in front of these guys that they, they think they have uh, just massive opportunities. Who do they compete with? Uh, a lot of smaller players, but they're they're really the largest uh, pure play uh, business in the space. It's it's interesting. I, I years ago I looked at a company called Right Now um, that didn't look like much to me. Uh, it was a software company that seemed to they they suggested that this is what the business they were in. I couldn't figure out if they were a body shop doing customer service or actually a software to manage that. And they got acquired at a massive sum uh, by Oracle and the. CEO went on to be a, a, a the governor of a state. You know, it was it was it was a big opportunity for a lot of people and a lot of uh, companies. And it made me realize that you know that this sort of the increasingly companies sort of farm out modules of their business, customer service uh, being a big piece of that. Yeah, it's just it, it's it's very difficult. Again, you know, we saw that sort of the two main uh, growth areas over the past year were, were companies that. Had real staffing issues, and then the, these these explosive kind of unicorn, really Silicon Valley type businesses that are growing so quickly, you know, Uber, uh, you know, or uh, like I said, uh, Peloton or uh, Venmo, Airbnb, uh, Netflix. These these companies with this just this massive growth, they can't really keep up. Um, so it's it's a way for them to quickly and efficiently uh, sort of solve that problem. And do we see an acceleration of the growth here that we saw in so many ways? We saw so many companies take the the gradual, even rapid trend of digital technology change, digital adoption, whatever you want to call it, pulled massively forward during COVID. Um, did these guys see the benefit of that with customers signing up with them because they couldn't handle their uh um, customer relationship woes? They did. Them? They did. I mean, I, you know, not the... You know, for them, a lot of that growth is going to come in the future. So they, they, they signed a lot of new business that they think they're going to be able to hang on to, not just kind of the one-time COVID issue. But but again, they, they, they split their business into two main segments, digital and engage. And engage is really the legacy uh, call center business. That's nearly $2 billion of revenues per year, um, whereas the digital is about $300 million of revenues per year, per year, but much smaller. So the top line is, is growing well. Um, you're seeing kind of 20% type growth on the top line. What, what's really interesting about this is the, the margin story. And, and if you know, look, looking at uh, where Wall Street has their margins growing relatively modestly and steadily, when we really look over the last uh, couple of quarters, it's, it's picking up faster than that. And you're seeing as digital grows, the EBITDA margins are close to 20% on the digital side. So I think 
what we're going to see is really uh, the profitability is really going to swell uh, in the next couple of years. So I think that's really the, the more uh, dramatic uh, growth story. So is digital really kind of like a machine learning uh, uh, empowered? Exactly. So they don't, you don't actually have to have a person on the other side. You can get enough good answers um, using that AI in that, that, you know, people throw around the words machine learning and AI as if they are interchangeable, but they do overlap. And, and you could imagine if you can, if you can program out about a thousand questions, you can answer most of your customers' questions. You can answer most and obviously not all. And so you do need to keep that somewhat of a human uh, uh, presence there. So they, you know, they can roll those up as the, uh, as the questions escalate or as the, the, the customer is not satisfied with the answers he's getting. Uh, but you're able to farm out a lot of the answers, you know, that, you know, again, you were talking about Comcast, uh, you know, how many times do they need to remind me to just reset my modem and, and it solves 80% of the problems right. and, and right. rather than having a person earning a full uh, salary sit there and say it all day. So, um, they're, they're, you know, it's it's really when you get the two things working together properly, uh, the, the digital and then the, the human uh, element is, is where you really see the most successful results. Um, and I, so I guess, therefore, the number you're watching the most when they report earnings is what percentage of revenues are digital. Do they give backlog information or get you a sense of how many customers? Because it also seems like signing up a customer and getting that customer actually fully engaged and therefore spending might be a lag of, of uh, many months, many quarters, maybe even years. And it is a lag. And it's also, um, you know, in a service like business like this, you don't see the massive, you know, it's not like, they're shipping a product, so you don't see a huge bump in revenues. Uh, but they do uh, they do talk about backlog, and they talk about what they refer to as the number of logos or new new uh, customers that they're signing on, and that we're seeing a real significant ramp there. Um, and you know that's great to sign them up. How long are they going to keep them? Uh, they they seem confident they're going to keep a lot of these guys. And what we have seen is that their top twenty customers have over a ten year tenure on the product, so or on the uh, platform. So. People, customers that sign up tend to stay, uh, even though I'm sure the, the intention up front is, hey, let's just hire these guys and then we'll steal all their good ideas or we'll, uh, we'll eventually build out our own uh, platform. But uh, what you actually see is, is the customers stay on a lot longer. Yeah, and I would think, that, again, that, that uh, the post-COVID, they're going to know right now, real quick, who's staying and who's going. So the next couple of quarters, you, you look for that you know, especially if they now, uh, you know, if you can see a logo disappear, you might want to ask some questions. Sure. Yeah, a absolutely. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a nice way, you know, at, at Villarine Company, we don't typically buy the these massive uh, growth companies that, the, you know, the Pelotons, obviously, um, of the world, just because they trade at much higher valuations and we're generally comfortable with. We're a little uh a little bit skittish uh, from a risk perspective there. But so for us, this is an, an interesting way to get exposure to whatever the high growth uh, uh, company is of the day, or especially on the retail, healthcare, and financial side. Uh, companies that to buy might be a little more expensive price-wise than we're interested in paying. Uh, but with Teletech, you get some of that exposure and you get you benefit from you know, wherever the, the growth is coming from. These guys are going to kind of catch it. It looks like they've also recategorized things over the years to make it easier for investors to see that um, or whomever, I guess really just investors who they targeted to, where they break out digital as a separate category. They used to have customer management services, customer growth services, customer technology services, customer strategy services, and figuring out which pieces of that are digital isn't, doesn't say the, the story as, as plainly as it is. 
Yeah, and, and obviously investors like us are trying to figure out what multiple to put on companies like this. So they know everybody wants to see the digital growth, and so they, they, they break it up that way. So you can kind of see, okay, where are we in the legacy piece versus the high growth piece, and where are we in the kind of as those those lines kind of eventually cross. <clears throat> so you, you figure out, you know, if it's a, a boring old call center business, we're not necessarily going to give it the same multiples we might with, uh, you know, this high growth, high margin uh, digital business. Um, and yet uh, it looks like on a year over year basis, digital's percentage of revenues declined in 2020 versus 2019. What, what does that have to do with? Yeah, that's a quirk. Um, so they had a, a government contract in, in 2019 that they discontinued in, in, as well as their consulting business. So there's there's a little bit of noise in those numbers uh, from a uh, to, to try to split so that out. client uh, that client went away. Yeah, that client, they, they cut that business. So uh, organic revenues year over year grew 25 percent. So the, the, the growth is um, is solid. Strong within the customers, the organic defined as com- customers they've, they've they've kept customers that they've kept existing customers that backs out that takes out the essentially the uh, the government customer and it also takes out the uh, the recent acquisition so it's trying to come up with an apples to apples growth. We like it when there's a little hair in a deal. Yeah, well that's that's where you can get the more interesting valuations for sure. The cleaner they are, the harder they are for us to get comfortable with the valuation. Unless there's a yeah, pandemic, then you get everything on sale. Well, everything on sale. Oh my God, you look at the year over year and just about anything, and, and yeah. it can make anyone look good. But uh, <laughs> yeah. those are the moments when you get to do some work. Uh, right. Lamar, I really appreciate it. Uh, Lamar Valeri is the uh, portfolio manager, uh, and we appreciate your time um, uh, bringing uh, TTES to us. Well, we want to talk about the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. We talked about the size of the digital business. I'm going to tell you how big that business is, a percentage of revenues is for this company compared to the prior year as we discussed when The Drill Down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you like the platform on which you are listening to this Drill Down podcast, but have you subscribed? Have you clicked the follow button to get every single episode? Have you left a review so everyone else can find out what you think of the drill down? Boy, we'd really appreciate it. Help us spread the word. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. We're back with the drill down. You heard Lamar Valeri talking to us about TTES, what an interesting company this is in the in the the business T-T-E-C. of uh, TT excuse, excuse me of yeah. of, uh, of um, uh, the customer service business I need some co- a live a live chat as well I guess I've got live <laughs> chat I've got you I'm your live correcting chat me bot. constantly thank goodness well I want to give you that bite that one number that means a whole lot and the change in this business uh, in that digital business was confusing to people I think uh, when they came out they went from 19 percent down to and here's that bite from 19 percent in 2019 down to 16% in 2020. Wow. That's a 19% decline, if you want to look at it that way. But uh, um, uh, when you look at those that kind of one-time customer information, it makes a little more sense. And clearly, that's the most profitable part of the business is the part you want to watch and see how it grows. All right, you've been listening to The Drill Down. We appreciate your time. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The Drill Down is a product of the Business Podcast Network.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.